tension with Tehran. Officials in Iran are denying the claim by President Trump regarding a drone shot down in the Persian Gulf. We're at the White House. Mueller testimony. Democrats give a preview of the line of questions they will ask the special counsel next week on Capitol Hill. Internet censorship? Lawmakers investigate whether Google is targeting conservatives online. And historic day for humanity. On the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission, what message Pope Paul VI sent to the astronauts. On EWTN News Nightly for Friday, July 19, 2019. Good evening from Washington, D.C., and thank you for joining us for News from a Catholic Perspective. I'm Wyatt Goolsby. Iran denies claims that the U.S. Navy shot down one of their drones, but President Trump leaves little doubt. The recent military confrontation raises new concerns tonight about the rising tension in the Middle East. White House correspondent Mark Irons reports. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Wyatt. President Trump issues a new warning to Iran today, speaking from the Oval Office. We hope for their sake they don't do anything foolish. If they do, they will pay a price like nobody's ever paid a price. This follows yesterday's confrontation in international waters. Uh, no doubt about it. No, we, we shut it down. The president maintains a U.S. Navy ship destroyed an Iranian drone after it came too close. Ignoring multiple calls to stand down and was threatening the safety of the ship and the ship's crew. The drone was immediately destroyed. Iran's military claims otherwise, saying the drone returned safely to base. The country's deputy foreign minister tweeting, we have not lost any drone in the Strait of Hormuz nor anywhere else. Iran says it will continue to monitor the quote, terrorist forces of the U.S. The comment comes after Vice President Mike Pence called Iran the greatest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. He announced new sanctions yesterday against two Iranian-backed militia leaders, and offered a message to the country's people. Even as we stand strong against the leaders in Tehran, know that we are with you. We pray for you. Tension between the U.S. and Iran has been increasing. A month ago, Iran shot down an American drone. President Trump called off a retaliatory airstrike at the last moment. And remember, President Trump has reimposed crippling sanctions on Iran after pulling the U.S. out of the Iran nuclear deal with world powers last year. The president says he is willing to open new negotiations. Wyatt. White House correspondent Mark Irons. Thanks, Mark. President Trump marked the 50th anniversary of the moon landing with a special event in the Oval Office today. He was surrounded by the surviving astronauts of the Apollo 11 mission and their families. And Buzz, maybe say a few words. You've been watching the space program very closely. You've been watching what we're doing. And uh, what a career you've had, one of the great careers. Uh, what would you say? Uh, frankly, I've been a little disappointed in the last 10, 15 years. Buzz Aldrin has concerns with the next generation of spacecraft. It exposes a rift among people who want NASA to send the next manned mission to Mars instead of the current plan to return to the moon and use that experience as a stepping stone. Coming up later in the newscast, we'll talk in depth about the message Pope Paul VI sent to the astronauts during their mission. The Vatican releases sanctions against the former leader of the Diocese of Wheeling, Charleston. Bishop Emeritus Michael Bransfield no longer is allowed to preside or participate 
anywhere in any public celebration of the liturgy. He can no longer live in the diocese, the lone diocese in the state of West Virginia, and he must make personal amends for some of the harm he has caused. Bransfield was accused of sexual assault and financial improprieties. Planned Parenthood reportedly is set to forego part of its federal funding in order to continue directing women to have an abortion. The Trump administration's new regulation bans recipients of Title X money from referring women to abortion clinics. The organization remains eligible to receive $500 million in other federal funds. Democrats in the House of Representatives give us a look at what they may ask during next week's hearing with former special counsel Robert Mueller. Let us listen, let us see where the facts will take us, and, and let us have this be as dignified as our Constitution would require. And then we'll see what happens after that. Democrats say they want the American people to hear and see what's in Mueller's 448-page report. We expect Republicans will focus on Mueller's conclusions that there's not enough evidence of conspiracy. Does the country's most used website have too much sway on your life? Senators this week questioned Google, posing a number of similar related questions to censorship and privacy. Capitol Hill correspondent Jason Calvey recaps the Senate hearing. Good evening, Jason. Wyatt, when most people go to find something on the internet, they turn to Google. About 90% of internet searches go through the site. The name has even become a verb, meaning to search the internet. Republican Ted Cruz versus Google. They make sure they know what you search, what you shop for online, what you like. They track your location within a matter of feet so that they know when you visit a physical store. And the country's second most popular website is another Google company, YouTube, which blocks hate speech. An ever-changing and vague standard meant to give censorship an air of legitimacy. This is a staggering amount of power to ban speech to manipulate search results, to destroy rivals, and to shape culture. But this Google vice president says they're not blocking conservatives. Karin Batia served in the George W. Bush administration and worked for conservative group, the Heritage Foundation. Does Google discriminate against conservatives, whether on Google search, YouTube, or any other platform? No, Madam yeah. Senator. Does Google search discriminate against conservative content? No, Madam Senator, we, we don't factor political leanings into our algorithms at all. Computer programs which are supposed to block videos like those challenging the reality of the Sandy Hook shooting. We don't want those kinds of videos up. There's, there's, there is, uh, it's certainly not conducive to the kind of uh, community we're looking to build at YouTube. It is, given the sheer quantity of video that gets uploaded, it is a tough computer science challenge, but, but we, we can continue. upload it. Well, you're individuals will be responsible for it. And House lawmakers also question big tech companies about competition. There's questions about if there should be more regulation of Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Apple. Now, their reps say they're not monopolies. They cite fierce competition amongst each other as well as with startups. Wyatt. Capitol Hill correspondent Jason Calvey reporting. Thanks, Jason. State Mike Pompeo announces the U.S. is targeting a senior Hezbollah operative backed by Iran during a visit to Argentina today. I would like to commend Argentina for designating Hezbollah as a terrorist organization yesterday. This action will block 
its access to your country's financial system, and greatly diminish its capacity to fundraise throughout the region. Pompeo attended meetings with Argentine officials in Buenos Aires. It's the first stop on a tour of Latin America. From there, he will travel to Ecuador, Mexico, and San Salvador. Pompeo wants to build stronger ties with the countries to combat counterterrorism. German Chancellor Angela Merkel criticized President Trump today for his Twitter comments of four female Democratic lawmakers. Merkel expressed her solidarity with the Congresswoman attacked by the president. She said the president's comments should go, saying they should go back to their countries was, quote, something that contradicts the strength of America. Today, Merkel also says she trusts that Britain will find its way through sorting through Brexit under a new prime minister. The bishop of one of Mexico's most violent areas reacts to this week's sentencing of drug lord Joaquin Guzman Loera, better known as El Chapo. Guzman Loera was sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years. Bishop Salvador Rangel Mendoza told our partners at Asi Prensa that Guzman's sentence is proper and prudent. He also said he was, he is, quote, more confident in American laws than Mexico. Mourners in Japan gather outside the building where 33 people died in a suspected arson. Tributes were left to those who lost their lives in the fire and those who were injured. The blaze at the Koyoto Animation Studio was started by a 41-year-old suspect. He is hospitalized with several burns and unable to talk. Officials say he had a grudge against the company, which is beloved by comic lovers throughout the country. Millions of people in Bangladesh are being affected by flooding and landslides. The rivers in northern and southeastern parts of the country are swelling during the rainy monsoon season. The Red Cross says more than 66,000 houses have been destroyed and more than 4 million people are at risk of food insecurity and diseases. Age of the Church in Need announces two new projects to assist Christians living in Syria. The first is based in Aleppo. It will deliver food and financial aid to Christian families in need. The second is in Damascus. It will provide medicine and home medical care. Coming up, highlights from the ministerial to advance religious freedom. Welcome back, I'm Wyatt Goolsby. A refugee from Syria has been indicted on charges he plotted to bomb a Christian church in Pittsburgh. A federal grand jury accuses the 21-year-old of trying to provide material support and resources to ISIS. He was arrested last month while meeting with undercover FBI agents. Open Doors USA says terrorists killed four Christians in Burkina Faso after singling them out for wearing crosses. The reported attack occurred late last month. Since February, 27 Christians have been targeted and killed in the West African country. Joining us now is Nina Shea, director for the Center for Religious Freedom at the Hudson Institute. Nina, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Wyatt. Why is the situation for Christians in Burkina Faso appear to be getting worse? It is getting worse. It's the uh, Boko Haramization, if you will, of Burkina Faso, meaning that this terror group that we've seen in Nigeria uh, closing down church, uh, churches, bombing churches full of worshipers and schools, saying Western education is forbidden, going from vi villages, uh, shooting any Christian a man and taking the women and girls as slaves. This is now happening in Burkina Faso. It's a small West African country. It's the same group coming across the border now through Mali, heavily armed, and the government's failing to protect them. We've had four attacks against churches in the month of May. 
including the assassination, execution style of a, a Portuguese missionary, a priest, a Catholic. And, and there, several of these churches were Catholic, some were Protestant. Uh, but they're targeting Christians specifically. They want to eradicate the Christian presence. And there's about uh, a third of the country is Christian. It's about 20 million people, and there's mm -hmm. a third of the country is Christian. It's just so scary to think that a terrorist could walk into your village and you're just wearing a cross and they'll target you. And they targeted uh, 2,000 schools. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. Shut them down. Um, switching gears a little bit here, you were a speaker this week at the Ministerial to Advance Religious Freedom uh, here in Washington. What were your some of the main takeaways from the conference? Yeah, it was so ex exciting and inspiring. I've been working on religious freedom issues at, as an advocate for over 30 years. So people all that I've known throughout my life have all, were all there, and uh, many of them. And I was on a panel with three amazing heroes <clears throat> in the religious freedom fight. They were from Africa. They were from Eritrea and Sudan. Uh, Mariam Ibrahim, you might remember, she was uh, accused of apostasy apostasy in Sudan, sentenced to death. She was rescued by the Vatican, got asylum here, but she was, her life was saved because she was pregnant. It, she she w found out she was pregnant when she went to prison and um, that she would have been executed otherwise. And she gave birth shackled to the floor wow. alone. And uh, she told me uh, yesterday that she said the rosary on the links of her chains to of her leg. Wow, just things that it we was, just almost take for granted in this country, but then to be there in prison. It was amazing I mean, to be with these people. Another uh -huh. woman, a gospel singer, from, Helen from uh, from Eritrea, had been uh, locked up in a shipping container mm -hmm. um, with dozens of Christians. Yeah, you just think about all of these stories, and like you're saying, this ministerial is so comprehensive, bringing mm -hmm. victims from all over the world. What do you think about this ministerial? What this ministerial can accomplish long term? Because this is the second annual. It elevates the issue. It makes it important. It rises to the level of, say, trade. You know that we, whereas America is behind this. Uh, as much as we are behind free trade. It's bringing together foreign ministers, about 90 to 100 foreign ministers came, mm -hmm. a thousand advocates from around the world. And the EU, there is no other form. The UN is totally corrupt and it has been infiltrated by the, the persecutors, the Human Rights Commission there, the council. So this is um, the one area of the world where people can come and in freedom talk in all religions. Uh, there were Yazidi, uh, Nobel laureate, yeah. Nadia Murad there, there were Muslims there from uh, uh, Burma and, and Uyghurs. So it, it's, yeah. it was an, very inspirational. Sure, and I know that it's uh, already inspiring other countries to do the same, to try to call religious and, and local leaders all to come together to talk. So we'll continue to follow that as it develops. Nina Shea, Director for the Center for Religious Freedom at the Hudson Institute, thanks so much for the recap. Great, thank you. Up next, we go to Rome to talk to the Director of the Vatican Observatory. He tells us what Pope Paul VI said to the Apollo 11 crew 50 years ago. Welcome back, I'm Wyatt Goolsby. Earlier in the show, we told you lawmakers are investigating possible censorship by Google. A report says several books on same-sex conversion therapy have been banned by Amazon. The Daily Signal says four books by the late Dr. Joseph Nicolosi are no longer available on the internet giant's website. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops says on the issue of homosexuality, the church seeks to enable every person to live out the universal call to holiness. Persons with a homosexual inclination ought to receive every aid and encouragement to embrace this call. 
Joining us now is Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, Jr., a licensed therapist and the founder of Reintegrative Therapy Association. Dr. Nicolosi, welcome into the show. You say Amazon's book ban put same-sex supporters ahead of established science. You also call the decision anti-American. Why do you say that? This is all about freedom. This is about free speech. Who controls the free uh, flow of information in our country? And right now it's big tech organizations that are being influenced by political lobbyists. And my father was a clinical psychologist. He started the world's first Catholic uh, clinic. And he wrote four books and, and thousands upon thousands of people in reading. And we had hundreds of positive reviews. Amazon took them down all because they're about people leaving same-sex attractions. And this is about... Um, you know, banning speech. And if they're going to start here, what other books are they going to ban next? Right now, Amazon sells books uh, that are that are pro-Nazi, like Mein Kampf by Hitler. They have four books on how to kill yourself. They have all sorts of books. But if books offend people, particularly LGBT activists, now they're saying we're just going to start banning them. Do you think there's any way to reverse Amazon's ban? I think there is. There are over 40,000 people who have been signing different petitions to get the books restored. And if people are interested, they can, they can go to our website, uh, go to josephnicolosi.com, sign the petition, make your voice heard. Um, this, is, this is a serious issue um, when our freedom of speech is, uh, is being abridged. Uh, moving to your therapy, you've focused on reintegrative therapy mm -hmm. as opposed to what yes. some have called the conversion therapy. Explain right. the differences between the two. There's a huge difference here, and the mainstream media often conflates the two. Conversion therapy is a term that's broad, ill-defined, there's no ethics code, no governing body, and it's practiced generally by unlicensed individuals. In reintegrative therapy, the client is in the driver's seat. Uh, we use evidence-based treatments, the same treatments used in other clinics found throughout the world, to treat trauma, and as we deal with these underlying dynamics, individual sexuality seems to shift on its own, spontaneously as a byproduct. And the science for what we're doing is very strong. All people have to do is go to reintegrativetherapy.com and click on the science and learn more. What would you say to someone who says these therapies are harmful or painful? I mean, there, there's a lot of people about this that are very outspoken. Yes. Uh, a documentary was just released where people can actually watch how an independent filmmaker came in and f found our clients and talked with them. And their stories are very, very different. Our clients describe remarkable similarities in their childhoods. They describe very specific traumas in their childhoods. And when they get access to standard trauma therapy and resolve these underlying issues, they notice the sexuality shifting as a byproduct. This is especially true for individuals who were sexually abused when they were young. And these individuals come to our clinic and they say, these experiences shifted, changed my sexuality. I want to be able to explore this. I want to hear different options. And right now, Amazon is working hard to ban those options and for individuals in the public to hear alternate viewpoints. Very interesting. It's a very interesting discussion on a whole host of issues, not just therapy, but the issue of Amazon's ban as well. Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, Jr., a licensed psychiatrist and the founder of Reintegrative Therapy Association. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pope Paul VI made a phone call to the Apollo 11 mission to the moon 50 years ago during a historic day for humanity. The Pope watched the astronauts land on the moon, just like millions from around the world, from a television set. He was at Castel Gandolfo, the papal summer residence. 
Joining us now to talk about the Vatican's perspective on Apollo 11's mission, we're joined by Brother Guy Consolmagno, director of the Vatican Observatory. Brother Guy, welcome into the broadcast. Pope Paul VI sent a message from the Psalms to the astronauts after the landing. He also added, quote, to the glory of the name of God who gives such power to men, we ardently pray for this wonderful beginning. Can you shed some more light on what Pope Paul thought of the moon landing back in 1969? Well, of course, he was very enthusiastic about it. Uh, he spoke from the dome of one of the telescopes of the Vatican Observatory directly to the astronauts, and he, he said uh, a marvelous phrase about the moon as the uh, pale lamp of our dreams. And he wished, of course, great uh, success in their work. But I think his deepest message came out a few days later when he, he gave the Angelus and at his general audience on the Wednesday following the moon landing, where he cited two bits of scripture I thought were very profound. The first, actually it wasn't scripture, it was uh, St. Augustine. The line that everybody knows that, God, <clears throat> you made me restless until I can rest with you. And I think the important thing there is that the restlessness that makes us want to go to the moon is the hunger that makes us want to seek God. That was an important insight. And he also quoted from uh, Psalm 139 or 138, depending how you num number it, uh, that goes, no matter where I go in the world, even to the edge of uh, the farthest reaches of the sea, your face is there waiting for me. Because I think there are two things that he saw and that we can take in a spiritual sense from the Apollo landing. The first is that it is an expression of the human longing that makes us more than just animals looking for food because we, we don't live by bread alone. And the second is to recognize that God is bigger than just our own town, our own city, our own daily concerns. God is there with us, but he is also the God of the moon and the stars. I want to take a minute to show our viewers a picture you'd reference of Pope Paul looking through the telescope at the Vatican Observatory, looking at the moon. Many people may not realize the Vatican has an observatory, which was founded back in 1891. Tell us more in general about the connection between faith and studying astronomy. Well, astronomy is one of those things that reminds you that the world is bigger than what's for lunch, just as faith should do that. Astronomy is something that you do as an individual looking through a telescope and yet as part of a community that tells you what to look for, that allows you to have this conversation about what we're looking at, where you can share your insights. And that reminds me of, of our lives of prayer. We pray as individuals alone, yet within a church, within a structure that's been built by generations before us. And I think that blend of the individual call and the need for the larger community you find in both astronomy and in religion. The deeper thing to, to me, though, is that both of them remind us how big this creator God is. Uh, the writer of Genesis saw the world as a flat plain with uh, domes that reached the farthest mountains, and bigger than that was God. Thanks to our modern astronomy, we can talk of a universe that's 13.8 billion light years in every direction, and that had a big bang 13.8 billion years ago, and bigger than that is the God who made it. Only an infinite God can take a person as tiny as me on a planet as tiny as me and give me all of his attention and care and also give all the attention and care to some creature in Alpha Centauri. 
Brother guys, you know here in Washington we're celebrating the landing of the moon, but I want to ask you about the future. I mean, do you think that we as human beings should return to the moon? Some people say we should create up a tourist attraction there. What do you think about the future? Oh, I hope so. Um, I don't want us to be limited. I don't want us to limit ourselves. I think the more beautiful places we discover, the more we find new ways of understanding God. The resources of the moon might be energy, might be a great place to do astronomy, it might be a great place to build a habitat where people who are in poor health can live at one-sixth gravity. All of those things are true. But the other resource of the moon is the opportunity to make our imaginations grow and to make our appreciation of the Creator grow. Just think of how the human race changed the way it thought of itself when it saw the Earth the way that the Apollo 8 astronauts saw that in that famous photograph that's sometimes called Earthrise. Only by traveling outside the Earth can we look back at the Earth and really see ourselves. Anybody who's done traveling knows that. So fascinating, all these uh, important topics. And again, connecting faith and our faith in God uh, to astronomy and, and to our solar system. Brother Guy Consolmagno, director of the Vatican Observatory, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Okay, and if people want to know more about what we do, we've got a website called Sacred Space Astronomy where we have a, this conversation goes on. Great. Thank you, brother. Always nice to talk to him and hear about the Vatican's interest and investment in science. And that concludes our newscast for tonight. We thank you for watching. For the entire EWTN News Nightly team, I'm Wyatt Goolsby. We'll be back Monday with more news from a Catholic perspective. Good night and God bless.